This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to On the Bench. I am Brendan Sinone. I've got Josh Newberg with me and Chris Nee after his journey to Raleigh, North Carolina. He's back, Chris. How were your travels? It was fantastic. Let me tell you, nothing better than a 17-hour round trip. I felt bad. I told you I felt bad that you were going up to Raleigh, but uh, your wisdom was you knew what you were getting into. Correct. What'd you eat? Uh, brisket for lunch, brisket for dinner. Uh, tried to go to Biscuitville. I don't know if it's any good or not. Also tried to go to Flying Biscuit. Didn't get in there. They were both packed. So had brisket then too. So you had brisket three different times? Uh, actually only twice. Okay. But still twice in a day is pretty good. And I, I think I drank about four gallons of coffee in a three-day period. So that's good. probably not good for my health. Let's go. Yeah. The, the coffee intake when we're driving, which we, if we go to road games now, we drive. Uh, the coffee amount leads to a lot of stop and have to pee, which then to me uh, increases the COVID uh, risks. It's quite the dynamic. So I just peed in my cup a lot when I went let's up to Louisville. Pod. Okay. Let's, let's all right, Josh, turn up your volume a little bit, please. I know we said we were in a good spot, but, but hey, turn up the volume, pump it up. So FSU fell to NC State 38 to 22. We recap that on the podcast, on the instant that Josh and I had. I don't know whether we want to start with Chris's kneecap uh, on the game because we haven't heard his thoughts or if we want to go into uh, the response to Josh's headline on the podcast for, for the instant, which was that things aren't getting better and people blame that on me. Chris, where do you want to start? I'll give you, you guys, you guys work through your issues, whatever you have to get through, get through. I don't necessarily have a problem with Josh's headline. I thought it was fair. Uh, I don't know if I would have headlined it that, but I don't think it was, uh, well, Chris, do you think the team got better? You definitely would have, would not have headlined it. Right. Right. But I didn't have an issue with it. I don't know. No, the team, I don't, I don't understand where we're at right now, and I'm going to vent for a minute here, and then we'll go into other stuff. But the fan base right now, I had people on Twitter getting mad at me because I was being too lenient on Mike Norvell. And then on the message board, people think we're being too hard on the program. And I just don't understand where uh, – I'll put it this way. Like like America, our message board and, and fan base is just very divided right now. Here, just a real quick, my thought process when I, when I headlined it wasn't – I wasn't really trying to make it personal or take a shot and really didn't think of a, a big deal of it. I just thought back to the Georgia tech game and I thought to this game and I just generally thought things are not getting better. And I know there's a million excuses in between why things are not getting better, but my thought was things I'm watching this game and just from an observation standpoint, things haven't gotten better from game one to game, whatever we're at. I tend to agree with you, Josh. And there there'll be some reasons we'll go over. Uh, we'll talk about the youth movement and, and those factors about those actually on that podcast, I thought generally speaking on that podcast, we were kind of light on them. I mean, we didn't, I don't think we really ripped the the team or any coaching or anything. I thought the, the podcast itself, the content in the pod kind of made for lack of a better term, excuses for why things haven't gotten better. Yeah. We explained 
I mean, I don't know. I, I think we're being fair. I, we don't need to do a podcast on the podcast. I just, I think it's more, I guess the po- the point that I'm trying to make uh, and that I'm interested in is the way this team, this program is being absorbed very differently throughout the fan base. Uh, and I know there's always going to be different factions, the way people see things, but uh, the split on it, like for some people to be really encouraged by what they saw in the loss and then some to have conclusions on, you know, the coaching staff and, and feel like they're being made excuses or there's excuses being made for them. It, it's interesting. And I'm kind of curious and uh, slash exhausted to watch it play out the rest of the, the regular season. So Chris, what did you, what did you make of, of the game? Uh, it played out basically how I sort of expected. I mean, the main thing I went to watch was Chubba Purdy. I wanted to see how he performed. I thought they kind of put the training wheels on him in the first half and Kenny Dillingham offensive coordinator kind of spoke on that today that the game plan was sort of simplistic to allow the offense to get into a groove, to allow the offense to kind of play it safe. They were also trying to melt the clock some and shorten the game, and then obviously got behind on the scoreboard in that day and allowed for that to continue. I thought in the second half he had some productivity. Now some of that is in what we would call mop-up time or garbage time. But, hey, the bell hadn't rung and he kept playing. I got no issue with that. I was pleased with how the offense did play hard. Um, especially considering four young offensive linemen. I thought Thomas Schrader did okay, especially for a first start. I honestly didn't need to see Dante Lucas go back out there. Made no difference to me. I would have rather Schrader get a little more PT and see what he has in him. Um, Defensively, they are who they are at this point. Uh, I mean, I thought the D-line played a better game than they've played on average this year. I thought the linebacking core played pretty poorly once again. I thought the secondary was once again a sieve. Um, the ability for the opposing team to pitch it and catch it just so easily is just sort of amazing to watch. And it is what it is. And teams have done it repeatedly this year. So I'm not going to bang on it because hell at this time, if you think it's an issue, you know, it's an issue. And if you don't think it's an issue, then I don't know what you're watching. Chris, did you see enough from Chubba Purdy in that game to, to, to certifiably say he is the future of this program moving forward? What was your, just your general thoughts? No, I, I wouldn't go that far. I think that's making a huge leap. I, I'd like to see Purdy continue to get a majority of the playing time, and I'm not opposed to a two-quarterback system using Jordan Travis's you know, leg ability and shot ability in the offense, too, to kind of throw curveballs at teams. I think at this point you're trying to create scoring situations. You're trying to create explosive plays. But, no, I, I didn't think Purdy played bad. I didn't think he played great. I thought he played a fair game. I thought he was in control of the game. I think efficient is a good word to use for what he did out there on Saturday, but I think that's the extent of it. I don't want to turn into something more than what it was, what I witnessed out there. And he did that against a relatively mediocre to poor NC State defense that especially has been, you know, allowing a lot of yards through the year, allowing 1,200 offensive yards in their two games prior to FSU. So it's not like that's a great measuring stick. But for a first time out, a first start, I thought he handled himself Mm -hmm. just fine. Yeah, what about Thomas Schrader? Because he's a guy that we heard early in camp was was really performing well, but then he suffered an injury and he was kind of like forgotten, you know, a little bit. The the positive news came out so early in camp and he got injured. Uh, but Thomas Schrader made his debut. Did you keep an, a close eye on him during the game? Well, it actually wasn't his debut. He has played just very limited. It was his first start. It was his right. first significant stretch of playing time. I thought he was okay. Um, you know, he took his lumps. Nobody on that O-line played a great game. The O-line as a whole kind of took lumps as a group. You know, Dante Lucas, I know, graded out well. I think he actually graded out, according to PFF, the best of any offensive lineman for FSU. So people are going to point to that and say he should play over Schrader. 
But he also got another personal foul and continues to do the things that would mm-hmm. infuriate me if I was his coach. So I'm I'm here for if we're if we're fully involved in whatever we're going to call this, whether it's a youth movement or exhibition season or trying to figure out who and what we are for next year and who and what we need to do in the offseason to become a better team. I'm fine with watching Schrader get more reps. I'm all for guys who, if they're earning it and doing it in practice, give them the opportunity. Chris, give me your top five starting offensive linemen right now. <laughs> Available <laughs> offensive linemen. I wouldn't say these are the five best, but I think rolling out there right now with a lineup of Robert Scott, Thomas Schrader, Maurice Smith, I guess Brady Scott at this point, and uh, – I guess Bavion at this point would be the five. Um, See, I and if I told I, you before the season started that this would be the top five heading into the Clemson game, you would have predicted that this would be our record. Right, but uh, the O-line's not the main culprit. They've got many culprits. I mean, this team's got a massive amount of issues. So I, I think the O-line's been fair, decent. Uh, I mean, they're still bad. In the no, I think they played well for, bad, who, for they, what's available. I think that that's my point. I mean, for what's available, I think they've played pretty well to not be the top storyline that we're talking about week in, week out. Yeah, and part, part of that is expectations. Chubba Purdy was – mo- he was the most pressured quarterback yes. of any quarterback in the country last week. And, and a lot of how you judge an O-line is how the quarterback's impacted by it. And Purdy and Travis have both alleviated the impact because mm-hmm. of what they're capable of doing with their legs, the way they're able to move, the way they're able to throw on the run, etc. as compared to a guy such as a Blackman or Tate when they're back there who are more of a statuesque quarterback. So yes, that is certainly a factor. And the O-line has a hell of a long ways to go to being very good, but they're not the, they're not the sole factor of why this team is sitting at the record it's sitting at. And in fact, they're one of the reasons of slight optimism for where this team is going, because I feel like as a group, they're in a better spot today than they were 12 months ago as an offensive line. They're not necessarily more talented. They're not necessarily even that much better, but as a group, as what they're doing, as what they're working towards, as the younger guys getting some burn and showing at least a willingness and an eagerness to be better. I feel like they're in a better spot than they were 12 months ago. And on the point of the offensive line, I know our listeners probably already know this, but just to keep in mind, Devontae Love Taylor out for season. He was a guy who we had as like a top five most important player on the team this season. And then Darius Washington just keeps getting his ankle rolled up on over and over and over again. I feel bad for him uh, because it was frustrating to not be able to stay in the lineup and develop. And that was the guy we had as a top 10 most important player. Those are your two left tackles, basically uh, your two tackles and D- DLT was filling in for Darius when he was hurt. And then yeah, Darius filled in for DLT. They're at a point where they have essentially seven guys that can actually fall back on that. They're I think they're comfortable playing at this point, which is like you say, Chris, a positive. And as we kind of wrap up on the season, start looking at building blocks. Like there are going to be things to be to say we can take with us into the off season as as positive. Uh, and, and to me, that that's certainly one. Hey, real quick, let's uh, recognize our. Sponsor Market Square Liquors, located off of Timberlane Road in northern Tallahassee. They have a lot of really cool events coming up uh, just in time for the holiday season. The one that we've pointed out a couple times because it's coming up in about a week or so is a wine tasting. It's going to be outside on November 22nd from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. So it's right before Thanksgiving. It's going to be on their porch. They're going to have 20 different wines from uh, from different regions of both the United States and, and also the country, uh, Italy, France, Australia. It costs 15 dollars per person. You get a $5 rebate 
on a tasting wine that you purchase. And also uh, you can go ahead and, and make a reservation uh, for yourself and, and your spouse. It seems like a good date, date day kind of kind of deal. 850-893-9636. Also something to put on the radar for you bourbon fans, which I know there are plenty that listen to this podcast. On Thursday, December 3rd, they are going to have a bottle engraving event. You can pre-purchase Woodford Reserve Bourbon or Rye, Jack Daniels Single Barrel. Those are all good quality stuff, gentlemen. Jack Whiskey or uh, Herradura Tequila. Her- Herradura. I, I'm sorry, I'm butchering it. Uh, but you go ahead and, and <laughs> it's not funny, Chris. You go ahead and you purchase those ahead of time. The engraving is free. Uh, you don't have to use the engraving on those, but you could do like FSU, do a, do a shout out to your loved one, anything you want uh, on, on the, the bourbon bench. engraving. Yeah, on the, oh, do an OTB one and send a picture to us. We will retweet it. It's a good use of your your time and resources. So uh, check out Market Square Liquors. They got a lot of cool stuff in addition to a really great selection of of spirits, wine, beer, and uh, and then the lounge next door is also a top-notch place to, to go ahead and, and grab a glass of bourbon or some other, other mixed drinks. Okay, so start off the podcast kind of talking about the fan expectations for this team and and when we look at where the team started the season, what the depth chart looked like, it's undergone a significant change. Some of that's due to mm. injuries. Some of that is a tr- normal attrition in a weird year. Uh, and some of that is to the roster just kind of pushing guys out ahead of time. Mike Norvell today said that he didn't really like the phrase youth movement. Uh, they said they're playing the best guys available. Uh, how did you absorb that, Chris, when, when he said that? Because I, I think a lot of fans – their eyebrows went up and said, oh, so we're not playing just young guys. We're playing who we think are the best guys. We're in a transformational year, and that's what this is, and that's what their roster is going to be. That's what's going to be moving forward, and we're learning it in real time. Uh, you know, I, I, I've reached a point, like, for example, with the title of the last pod and people taking exception to that. I get why some did, but my view is like the individual game at this point doesn't matter. Like we're not worried about that with regards to this Mm -hmm. season. This season is about an exhibition season, as I've called it before. They're searching for the roster. They're trying to figure out who they have, what they have, what they need. And that's where they are. I I don't think they want to call it a youth movement because I don't think they want it to be as simplistic as we're just playing the young guys. Their point is that they believe they're playing the best guys they have available on their roster, and that's the point they're reaching. I mean, there's a we've had older guys check out, older guys dismissed, older guys depart, older guys out because of injuries, and thus you're playing younger guys because the last couple of years recruiting has not refilled the roster with those middle classes of sophomores and juniors. You're developing into future players, mm-hmm. and so the answer is you're playing a hell of a lot of freshmen and some sophomores. So yeah. it is a youth movement in the sense of you're playing a lot of young guys, but I don't think they're solely playing young guys to play young guys. I think what you saw tonight or today during the presser just solidified the fact that this is definitely a youth movement because the coaches just said that, hey, we're just playing the best players. So in it, it signifies to me that they've turned the corner on coddling the upperclassmen and are just ready to say out loud that, yeah, the best players are playing. So of course they're not calling it a youth movement. They don't want to give that, you know, wave the white flag type mentality, but it's a full on youth movement. But I, I think the the differentiation they're trying to make is for example, at wide receiver, they're still, you know, starters are still Wilson, redshirt junior, Helton mm-hmm. junior, 
And then Warren Thompson's in an or situation with Helton at this point, and he's a redshirt sophomore. So you're talking about a third-year guy and two fourth-year guys, or I'm sorry, a third-year guy, a fourth-year guy, and a fifth-year guy. They're not solely going out there and running Williamson or Robinson or Tron or one of those guys out at receiver. Just run I mean, it. Tron just wasn't They've the best wide receiver, them. and Brian Robinson's not healthy. So maybe they would turn it over if they could at that position. They just can't. They try, right, but out there. I think if they believed one of those guys was better than what they're running out there, they would, but they're not solely running those guys out there because they're young. Yeah. I it's it's not in ascending guys up the depth chart just because they have a FR or an RFR mm-hmm. or an SO beside their name. Guys who are ascending on the depth chart are ascending because they believe they're better than the guys ahead of them who in general were veterans entering the year. You know, Dix over Warner at that specific pet position is an example mm-hmm. of that. But I, you know, I, I get it is a youth movement. Yes, we're arguing something that's kind of doesn't need to be argued. Yes, it's a youth movement, but it's not solely the idea of we're just playing youth and we don't like we're done with every third, fourth year, fifth year guy on this team. The other issue there and the reason they're having to play so much youth and they're going from playing very veteran to very young guys is that the middle of the roster is relatively non-existent, poorly developed, poorly recruited. And it leaves a massive void. So they're going with more guys that they know that they brought in to replace guys that were sort of the incumbent. We can say we can kind of parse semantics here, whether it's a youth movement or not. I think it depends on on the messaging. But the one thing I do think is interesting is uh, the very first note when FSU puts out his weekly note package to distribute to the media. The very first one is showing and highlighting just how young they actually are. Freshmen and sophomores make up. According to this, 73.7% of FSU's roster, the highest underclassman percentage in the country. Additionally, FSU's 13 seniors are the six fewest in FBS. So while they're saying they don't want to wave the white flag and just say we're playing young guys just to play them, I think they're they're also wanting that messaging to be out there that this is indeed a young roster. Uh, and this has been kind of a boiling frog deal where they, they were young at the beginning of the year, no matter how you want to slice it. Like it, it was a fairly high amount of freshmen and sophomores playing, about 60%. And now that's just consistently up to 70%. So you've seen that switch in the last couple of weeks or so, partially by design, partially by necessity. Uh, the question I have for you guys is how do we measure growth now? It's a very personal question. <laughs> I think you measure it on an individual player basis. I do it with a ruler. It's tough to judge it by a full group, a full unit, uh, not to get back to Josh's innuendo, but, but there is... I don't know. You know, no, I do disagree, though, to the extent because, like, we're looking at the defense this past week. Uh, did it get better? Like, uh, we could say, like, the defensive it's, line. It's played. not. It's not going to. Why not? Why can't the defense get any better? Like, why is that not allowed? It's it's regressed since the beginning what, of the season. What's going to happen that's magically going to make the defense better? Is the defensive line suddenly going to become a crushing havoc wreaking unit? Are the linebackers suddenly not going to get sucked in on RPO? Or is the secondary suddenly going to become great at every technique and fundamental we expect them to be? They they are who they are. But why can't we expect the line? But I understand, like, you know. You can expect whatever you You want. Yeah, exactly. But they're not going to. Chris is just telling you what it is. Teams are going to be able to pitch and catch against FSU. Can FSU do a better job of eliminating some of that? Sure. There are things they could do. You know, they could press. We never see them press. But you know what's going to happen if they press? They're going to give up some explosives. (laughs) So for everything you're doing, you're robbing one thing. You know, you're paying in another way. Peter and Paul scenario. So So are we uh, then – are we then – it's just there's I, so I many layers see, to this. <laughs> I want to see on defense. I want to see Travis J have a bounce back game and play better next mm-hmm, week. Mm-hmm. I want to see Steven Dix get a little more comfortable 
handling those scenarios of when a quarterback shows something, he dives down, leaves the middle of the field wide open and gets caught on it, and there's no safety help to help him out there. I want to see Kando continue to kind of look like he's rounding the corner a bit and playing a little better, having consistent reps, consistent games, not being injured for like the first time in his career in a four-game stretch. I want to see that. You know, J-Rob's played a little bit better in recent games. He's still doing plenty of that we can criticize, but I'm not going to go there. He's doing better. He's created a little more havoc, made some more plays. I want to continue to see that. You know, I thought Robert Cooper played real well early in that game with getting some great push up front. It's individual basis for me. As a whole, that defense is going to give up yards and points, and Clemson's going to annihilate them. I fully expect that. I don't I don't expect anything different. Like, I've stopped expecting anything different. I, I don't know why... I don't like, I don't get that. This guy, I'm not, if they give up 10 less yards next week than they did last week, it doesn't mean they improved. If they give up a hundred more yards next week than they did this week, it doesn't mean they got drastically worse. They are exactly who they are. We have eight game sample at this point with a healthy amount of those guys having played in a majority of those eight games. It, it is what they are. If they give up 10 fewer yards to Clemson, than they did against NC state. I'm throwing a freaking parade. I don't know. I think there's something to be said for whatever. Josh, I thought you were going to come in and, and be sassy, but you, you left me hanging there. That's no, I think expectations in all you know seriousness, expectations are personal. If you go in slapping the expectation like, hey, FSU is FSU and, and they should beat NC State and, and on the road no matter what, then you're going to be let down. But if you go within the context of, hey, I know they traveled with like, what, 60 scholarship players. And I think it was 59. 59 players and, and basically a full-on youth movement. Then your expectations are going to be a little bit different. But it just depends on how you want to view it. I just – I don't understand why we can't reasonably expect the defense to make a jump from one week to the other. Like why that's uh, – and I know Marvin Wilson's not there. This ain't the week to do it if you're going to. Well, I know because, this week, but but they, they legitimately, I feel like, got – worse from Pittsburgh to NC state. Like they, they didn't build on anything. I feel like they aren't getting better. You made that very clear on the headline. Yes. I just think they're bad and they're not going to be any better at what they're bad at. I, the middle of the field has been an issue for FSU in nearly every outing. I mean, like it, it's not changing. I don't expect it to change. I stopped expecting change in season with FSU's defense before the pit game and the pit game solidified that and the NC state game drove that point home to me. I, I just don't, I don't see the need to expect it. I, I'm not grading this team on a week by week basis. I'm not trying to make grand statements on a week by week basis. They kind of are who they are. And I think at this point you're evaluating those 59 to 60 scholarship players you have at your disposal and you're figuring out what the heck you need to do in the off season to try to have a better product in 2021. That that's where FSU football is for me today and where it's been for me basically since mid-October, beginning of November. In the stages of grief, I think Chris is at acceptance. I'm in deni- denial. Uh, Josh, I don't know where you're at. Uh, I'm chilling. You're just chilling. I don't, think that's one of the, I don't think that's one of the stages. Do you know that it's not linear? Like the, the stages of grief is kind of circular? Like there's not a, like a step process? Anyways, never mind. Uh, but it may be helpful for some people to, to research that. So let's talk about the depth chart that was released, some of the tidbits from the press conference. So we'll take a commercial break and go into to some recruiting because there's actually some, some news developing on that front. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about when looking at the depth chart, Chubba Purdy is still an or as a reserve to Tate Rotomaker. Jordan Travis is the starting quarterback. Chris, I got a feeling, though, we're going to see a healthy dose. If Jordan Travis is available, which Mike Norvell indicated he was probably going to return to practice this week, if J-Trap is available, a pretty steady dose of both Chubba and Jordan Travis. The extent, the ratio to which, I don't have a great feeling for right now, though. 
Yeah, the fact we saw Tate kind of built in as a relief pitcher in some ways and Corbin built in as a relief runner in certain situations, Wildcat situations, in the NC State game kind of lends itself to that being a continuing trend in future games. If you had your druthers, Joshua, uh, would you rather see Chuba continue to start even against Clemson for the next three three games with Jordan Travis kind of being the, the relief pitcher, so to speak, or would you rather see that switched around a little bit, Jay Traff start, Chuba being the guy who gets integrated in you know, every third drive or something like that? No, I've always thought, even if Travis is healthy enough to go, I've always said his his success isn't sustainable. So I'd rather see Chuba, even if it is in, against a team like Clemson and just let him work through it. Let him be out there. Uh, maybe spell him with Rotomaker, if anything. But you know, and, and run the Wildcat. Like Dillingham said, that was a, that was interesting to hear him say that they needed a veteran uh, mind to be in there at times to handle the football and make a play. So that was kind of why they had run so much uh, Jay Sean Corbin. So keep doing that and, and and keep letting him get his reps. And and my ex- expectations have changed. I mean, I just want to observe it. And that's kind of why I asked Chris earlier, like, did you see enough from Chuba? We've heard so much hype and, and surrounding him. Did you see enough in that first game to solidify him as like the future? No, I did not. So I want to see more and I want to get a, a good sample of what Chuba Purdy is going into the offseason. I'm with you, Josh. I think these games should be used as a vetting process for Chuba. We've talked about some of the reasons why, uh, but, I, but I think that's healthy for the future of your program, generally speaking. And I think that's also what Jordan Travis's role is going to be long-term is as a, a change of pace guy. I don't know if you can rightfully build an entire game plan around him for, for a full season. Mm-hmm. I just don't know if that, that exists right now with the availability issues he's, he's demonstrated before we even get to, to physical skill set. Uh, another thing that I want to get into is that the changes on the depth chart on defense? There weren't a ton, but we did see Hampson Nazardine solidified as the starting buck safety. Jaden Lars Woodby makes the move. I guess it's official to uh, the stud linebacker position. Uh, Chris, anything else noteworthy on the defensive depth chart? Oh, Jarvis Brownlee in as a starter, and, and he's someone who, when you talk about culture, uh, Chris, let's get your thoughts on on the changes up there. But let's start with Brownlee. I'm, I think that's that's good to have him start because he's someone who's who's shown that he's willing to put in the work and improve and make strides throughout the season. That's, that's valuable to me. Yeah. And he does it on defense and on special teams. He's talking the right game. He's the right kind of guy. I think, I think he's a building block. Who else is a building block on, on this team right now? You know what? Yeah. Let's talk about it real quick. If you could take five building blocks, five guys who say, yeah, I feel good about this guy moving forward for various reasons. Who, who are your five? Josh, I'll start with you. I'll let you throw I'll out name a couple just right off my head. Chubba Purdy, Lawrence Toa Philly, uh, Maurice Smith, Robert Scott, I'm just going to go all offense. Thomas Schrader, why not? Oh, what class do they have to be under? Redshirt sophomore or younger? Uh, let's, yeah, sure, because we'll say for, for more than another year. Yeah, let's say okay, someone so who you expect to play a few I'd, years. I'd go Purdy. I think he's the best quarterback currently on the roster. I'd go Corbin. I think he's proven this year he is one of those dudes. I'd go Brownlee because I think, again, another guy that's talking the right talk, playing mm-hmm. the right way. I'd still go Travis Drake because I think he's got a boatload of talent. I think he's one of the more talented guys on this roster. I'd go with Murray Gaynor because, yes, he's still a redshirt sophomore. We know he plays really hard. He can do a lot of things. He's arguably the best player on the defense. I'm with you, Chris. You mentioned Travis Jay seeing how he responds after after he had the muff putt and then just didn't really seem super engaged at times after that. 
I, I think that's going to be big to see how how he responds. I'm I don't I don't know see. if I'd say he wasn't super engaged. I think he he was emotion- distraught. He was yeah he was emotionally struggling to handle that. Mo- you got to move on to the next play. It's you know they coaches talk about it. And it's so cliche next play mentality, but when you literally muff a punt and you have to go right back out there and defend because you made the mistake, it it's a lot of weight on your shoulders. I, you know, he struggled on that next series. And I think he was still dealing with that play. He will learn from that. Travis J hasn't had a lot of bad moments in his football life to do special. One thing I wanted to clarify, you guys were talking about Jay Sean Corbin uh, and Josh had asked on the last podcast with the running back rotation, what was up with it. We did get clarity from Mike Norvell. He was speaking while Josh and I were doing the instant uh, Ledamian Webb was not 100%. I think he was battling an illness early in the week, so he had limited practice time. And then Lawrence Till Philly was not available. I believe, though, he did travel. Is that right, Chris? Yeah, LT was there and dressed out, but did not play at all. Webb, you know, didn't get into, I think, the second quarter. Okay. Is there anything else we want to talk about with team-oriented right now before the commercial break? We have a podcast later in the no. week that we're planning on Thursday, but it's Clemson. Yeah, I don't think we have to get too much into uh, – We'll do more big picture stuff, maybe a little bit of basketball talk too. Uh, let's take a quick commercial break though. When we come back, we actually have some fun recruiting topics to get to. We'll, uh, we'll be back in a minute. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, welcome back to On the Bench. We're going to wrap up this podcast with a few minutes dedicated to recruiting developments, both in their grad transfer market, with current commitments, with targets, uh, the board expanding. So there's a few things that, that we do legitimately want to go over. I do want to start with the grad transfer market. I think that's going to be a talking point throughout the offseason. I think that's going to be a huge deal for FSU. I'll start off. There's three guys we want to go over. The first one, Josh, I'll throw this to you. Drew Estrada, the wide receiver from Dartmouth College. He got an offer the other day. You wrote about it. What's up with Drew? Yeah, Drew Estrada is a six-foot, 190-pound graduate transfer, so he'll have immediate eligibility wherever he enrolls from Dartmouth, so an Ivy League guy. Um, he's picked up several offers since hitting the portal on October 10, mainly FSU, Rice, Utah, Western Kentucky, Texas State, and SMU. Um, I have a number for Drew Estrada, and I've been reaching out uh, today, have not been able to get a hold of him, but I hope to reach out and just kind of get a, a timetable on his decision. Share it with um, everyone right now so our listeners can also try to you know convince him to yeah. come to FSU. So he finished his career at Dartmouth with 2,392 career all-purpose yards, 12th in team history, very productive player, um, small in stature at six foot, but he can kind of do it all. Seems like somebody FSU need, you know, kind of like a go-to guy uh, would be a one-year stopgap. Um, FSU is offered. We hope to find out soon when he's going to decide. <clears throat> it's going to have to be in the next couple of weeks because I'm sure he's going to get enrolled at his next school for the spring, which is in January. So we should know something soon on him. I think he was also all academic too in the Ivy league, which is fairly absurd. Right. Uh, so another wide receiver, I don't believe there's been an offer yet, but there is interest from Montana. Samori, I want to say Torre, Torre, uh, Josh, I'm also going to throw this to you because I know you've done some background on 
Samori, uh, but I don't think there's been anything beyond just general interest so far. No offer, correct? Correct. No offer. And I thought of the two um, lower level wide receivers FSU has been in contact with, I figured Torre would get the offer first um, because he is six foot four, just a little bit bigger frame. Also super productive, um, you know, set team records and catches and yards and touchdowns and all that kind of stuff. Um, also, they didn't play this year. So so he's been sitting out um, this entire season and entered his name into the transfer portal just last week. He's only been in the portal for about three or four days now. So we'll see if something transpires with him. But as of now, there has been contact, but no offer. Super productive wide receivers FSU has targeted so far, even at a lower level. But you're seeing experience. You're seeing proven production. Decent academic guys, too. I think that's showing some early indications of the type of guy FSU is looking for. Uh, floor raisers, if you will. Maybe guys with not extreme upside, but ones who who make the bottom of your, the bottom of your roster better. Uh, another guy with that in mind at a different position, someone Chris has been in touch with, is Brian Foley. Offensive tackle prospect from the FCS level as well. Yeah, he's from Holy Cross. Uh, FSU and him had some minor communication when he entered the portal, which was roughly a little over two weeks ago. And uh, at that point, he had told me that mostly Big Ten programs were talking to him. Here in recent days, he's spoken to FSU offensive coordinator Kenny Dillingham. He's expecting to be speak to offensive line coach Alex Atkins. He's a 6'4", 315, 320-pound offensive lineman, originally from Illinois. Um, you know, talented kid. He's earned first team all Patriot League honors, you know, second team all that conference division honors, played a lot of games at left tackle. I think he would certainly be a help on any of the four outside spots. I don't think he's a center type, but I think he can help you at any of the other four. Who the rare uh the rare Chris Knee guard or tackle. Uh that, that's impressive. Check your bingo cards, folks. Ooh, ooh, he's giving them, he likes the diversity of the skill set there. Uh, another interesting development here on the recruiting trail, or potentially interesting, is certainly going to be worth monitoring. South Carolina parts ways with Will Muschamp. Mm. One good for you, Will Muschamp. I think he's coming away with $13 million there. So, you know, that ain't bad. No what, better job in America than being an unemployed college football head coach. <laughs> pays, it pays well. Uh, all right, South Carolina is a school that FSU has gone up against on the recruiting trail a few times in recent years. Uh, a few of those guys, defenders like Israel Mukuamu, and then was it Ricardo Lewis or Sendo Lewis? Uh, a linebacker from South Florida. I think it was from Deerfield Beach. Our, our guys at FSU had committed at one point when Jimbo left. There was kind of that transition period, and, and Will Muschamp scooped up them. Uh, so there's guys currently on South Carolina's roster that I think fans start looking at. Uh, and then there's also guys in South Carolina's recruiting class that FSU's fans start looking at. Uh, in addition, they're also going to start looking at Will Muschamp too because people are, are going to speculate and talk about that kind of stuff. So let's, let's talk about, though, with the current 2021 recruiting class, how that impacts FSU potentially. Josh, uh, you have some intel there on on names, and I know you do too, Chris. I'll let you guys go Yeah, back it could mainly impact a defensive end commitment to South Carolina named George Wilson. Spoke to Brian Doan last night. He's one of our 24-7 sports reporters up in the Northeast. And uh, he told me to be up, be aware of George Wilson. Um, this this only gets kind of amplified with the uh, firing of Muschamp because FSU has been in contact with Wilson for the past couple of weeks. Um, several teams have, including UNC, TCU, Auburn, and Penn State. Um, so with the news of Muschamp's firing, there's obviously blood in the water. 
And we look to uh, keep an eye on George Wilson and see if FSU turns up the heat. But he remains committed to South Carolina for now. Um, so, so just want to clarify that. He is still committed to South Carolina, but he is a target that FSU's going to pursue. Another defender at impacts is linebacker Trevin Wallace from Georgia. Wallace is actually committed to Boston College, <clears throat> but he's a guy that's seen a great uptick in recruiting interest. Auburn and South Carolina were truthfully the two schools probably battling the most to flip him from the Eagles. FSU's here gotten involved recently trying to get in that mix. He he personally talked to Muschamp. That was his main connect from my understanding with South Carolina. So Auburn's probably the biggest beneficiary of that, but it might lead the door a little bit more jar for FSU to try to get in on him. And then Katravian Hargrove is a running back prospect we've talked about a ton on this mm-hmm. podcast and his three suitors primarily last time we caught up with him were FSU, South Carolina, and Penn State. Correct. Is that right? Penn State. So that certainly bears monitoring, right? That the fact that one of the big three schools recruiting him now is undergoing a coaching change. Uh, speaking of running backs. All three struggling. of his choices are, are kind of struggling this year, Brendan. Un- underwhelming a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, so, if he comes out with a revised top four, that four teams gonna just they're gonna start <laughs> really shaking probably skyrocket. <laughs> uh, speaking of running backs, Pirate Cardwell, Josh, you had a quick update yeah. on him on the on the message board today. If you want to fill in the listeners on that, please. He's a he's a four-star running back from California that to be honest with you, we've never really uh spoken about too much on our site, but others out there in the media have. So he's a name that continues to get brought up on the message board. Um, he picked up an offer from Notre Dame over the weekend and did an article with Tom Loy of our, of our Notre Dame site. There's no mention of FSU in there. Um, he talks a little bit about the possibility of staying close to home if, if with a school like USC, um, but also says that he's probably going to take an unofficial visit on his own dime to Notre Dame. Um, it's safe to say if he's planning to take a damn near cross-country visit to Notre Dame on his own dime, and we haven't heard a peep from him um, about FSU, this one has really been an arm's length reach the entire recruitment. And I think that we can pretty much put this one to bed at this point. So um, yeah, we can, we can probably write off Byron Caldwell right now out of San Diego, California. I don't think right now is the time FSU goes to California to land a running back. Last name that I have here to talk about. I'm very interested to see how Chris kind of dismisses this. Cause I feel like that's, what's coming. Could be wrong. Surprise me, Chris. Quarterback commit Luke Altmaier was at Ole Miss this weekend. Uh, on a scale of one to ten, how much do we need to freak out? I know you like the one to ten questions. Ten be nice. I'm not going to give you a number. Fine. Didn't think um, so. I mean, him a letter. It's in his backyard. They've continued to recruit him. He went along with a 2022 friend who's a quarterback who he trains with. It is what it is. I, I'm not hitting the panic button, but Ole Miss isn't going to stop recruiting him either. You know, we. I had a one of our Mississippi state guys who works in the Starkville area who covers high school preps there talked to Luke. I believe he also talked to his father. If I recall correctly, he sent me a message. I guess it was two, three weeks ago, right before Luke's last regular season game. And you know, all the, the messaging has been the same. He, you know, he talks to FSU regularly. He knows what they are. He knows where they are in transition and he's, you know, still talking old miss. He hasn't completely dismissed them. That's where it's at. I'm not going to tell people that it can't happen. It can't happen, but I don't expect it to happen either. Sam Howell got everybody shook. That's where we're at in life. That's <laughs> let's just be honest. That's that's why that's being asked by Eastern, right? I was going to say there's. I don't want to say Sam Howell vibes because there are a lot more dynamics than it, but it's certainly uh, 
there was a point in time when people were dismissing the Sam Howell North Carolina stuff and just brushing it off totally. You just don't want to see your quarterback commit going to any other school at this point in the process. That's that's how I absorb it. Josh, what about you? Um, no, I, I mean, I think nothing can be said right now to calm the the fears of fans. When you're talking about FSU's top target at the time, I mean, we've already seen what happened to Brandon Jennings. Nothing's out of the realm of possibility. You just got to hope like hell that this staff continues to recruit him, continues to build that relationship. And I don't doubt that they are. Um, I don't have any reason to believe he's going to decommit, but I can't sit here and also say that he's a lock to sign. I mean, we all know that's going to be a tough task. Oh boy. Going to be fun until signing. Just day. trying to be honest. I know that's uh, sometimes the truth is uncomfortable. All right. We're wrapping up this podcast. Josh, what should we title it? What's the headline going to be? Oh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm going to wait till Saturday, Brendan. You can have this one. Josh is sitting out from titling stuff for the week. He's the suspended. Best. He's suspended from editorial duty, duties of titling anything. The best part of that is that Josh was just pieced out on Sunday, was not was not in pocket, and, uh, and no, I'm I there on the message board. Well, you didn't respond. There's nothing. That. It's just my opinion. Look, and if you listen to the podcast, like I said, we, we didn't rip them to shreds. It was good. There was a lot of context within there. I had no issue with the headline. I don't think it was out of line. I believe it. Still believe it. And I, uh, just the title. I enjoyed checking that thread in like Fayetteville, Darlington, Savannah, Jacksonville. And then when I got home and just watching it progress throughout the day and being like, eh, okay. As you, as yeah. you headed further South, so did the, the thread. And, and also, I, I also don't feel like it's my job to go in and change everybody's mind. So there was people in there that agreed with it. And there was people that disagreed with it. And it's not, you know, unlike, I know you try to change everybody's I, mind. No, but. it's not even that job. I don't mind people disagreeing. I don't like us being misrepresented. I don't like what I am saying and being, well, tell them to listen context. to the podcast. I don't think there's any issue with, with the headline. I'm, ta- I'm taking a week off from trying to piss anybody off or like stirring feelings. I'm just, I'm just trying to be, I'm trying to be good. Save it for next week, Chris. Even kill buddy. We need you. Even kill. No, no, next we're taking next week off. It, it's Clemson. It's basically a bye week where we play an opponent. Um, taking a week off. All right, get so pod, no, back, get back to me around hoops UVA. Pod, hoops pod, hoops pod. Oh, that's it. I thought Josh was going somewhere with it. Josh, you keep just just fizzling out on me. All right, for Josh Newberg, for Christy, I'm Brendan Sano. This is on the bench. Five star review if you want to. I don't care anymore.